I, I honestly, I, I, I didn't think I was gonna do that. I, that I'm, I, I, I might need to, I might need to get myself into concussion protocol. I don't know, but in you know, what world like, does the Griffin pick the the Marauders and the Marauder picks the Warriors yeah. here? Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Tom are back on the mics to set up week four in the OUA. Tom, you were a, a little bit distracted last weekend. Is this news that you want to share with the folks that don't necessarily keep tabs on you uh, on social media, what you had going in your life, or do we want to dive right into the football? <laughs> yeah, I had a uh, I had a bit of a bachelor party weekend and uh, getting married uh, next few weeks here which is uh its own little adventure going along with that but that's why i wasn't able to catch any of the games live or in person but still got plenty of juice for everybody for this week's review love it well and and i, I i've i've said this many times to you tom but it wouldn't be official if i didn't say it on the pod like how it's not a an actual happy birthday until you wish it to someone on Facebook back in high school. Uh, congratulations, my dude. So happy for you. Um, let's dive Thank into you, the, uh, Oh, absolutely. Let, let's dive into this week of action. Um, before we do uh, a few things that uh, just of note to sort of uh, set the context news around the league, uh, y- you brought to my attention, a change of format with, with the playoff seating and the playoff uh, format, I suppose. So uh, Tom, what's that looking like this year in the OUA? Yeah, so a friend of the show, actually, Ken Waller was the one who pointed it out to me. But this year, the OUA is going into a different format for the playoffs. Previously, it had been a six-team format with the top two teams getting that first round by. Now, it's a seven-team format with only the first-place team getting that first round by. That's actually a huge uh, advantage, huge things to kind of talk about there because I did some my own research on there. For over the last 20 years, the winner of the Yates Cup has had that first round bye. Whether it's a first place or second place, has not, hasn't been somebody who hasn't had that first round bye in the past 20 years. I know that you and I both have had uh, a Yates Cup championships under our belts and things. And uh, why don't you just talk about the, the tw- that 2015 year that you guys had in Guelph? How important was that first round bye for you guys? Oh, I mean, it was huge, of course. I mean, I'm trying to think of the, some of the specifics, um, even where we had our regular season by, but I mean, that was a very veteran-laden team that we had, like I feel like so many championship teams are. And of course, you get more veterans, you have more guys that, you know, you get a little more dinged up than when you're, you know, freshly out of high school, 17, 18, 19 years old, when you get into, you know, the the, the elderly age of 22 and 23 years old. <laughs> but it's not as much about the age, it's about the years of football played and all that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it, it, so yeah, yeah totally understand, uh, think that's huge. What makes it kind of interesting though is that especially after what we saw with western beating queens fairly handedly it does look like western will wrap up that top spot so in years past there have been sometimes that front runner and of course most times it is still western but there's sort of that competition for the second buy but nonetheless even though perhaps we're lo- teams are losing that opportunity to steal that second buy or to I shouldn't say steal but to get that second buy we're adding in more teams. So in the grand scheme of things, uh, I think it's a great move. And as we've been talking about all year, 
both with yourself and, and with Nate. Um, and a, a funny comment from a friend of mine who follows the league really closely. If you just if you took out if you took out the top team and the bottom team, and I apologize, not truly the bottom team by the standings because that would be Mac. I I do mean York. But if you took out those two teams. It would be such a beautiful conference of just you know competitive games left, right, and center every week, every game. So just getting more teams in for that first round. Um, oof, you know we're gonna have rematches galore. It's a uh, it's a beautiful thing. I think this is uh, you know me and Nate talked a little bit about the sort of up you know the influence of or the uh, the influx I should say of, of betting lines and things like that and into the league. And regardless of what your thoughts are on betting, just to to kind of paraphrase nate it's ultimately a sign of people sort of buying in um both literally and figuratively speaking to just the the product on the field and just i think it's it's a push in the right direction so i'm uh, i'm totally on board with it i love to see how it shakes out though once again of course the one buy is just saying okay great western you get a buy um and they're on their buy this week um but that's you know that that's that's really cool to hear um love it just to see them change things up and of course, shout out to Ken Waller, um, just for being a huge fan of OUA football and always kind of keeping us in the loop with anything that he's been hearing. On the note of standings, before we jump into the the weeks coming up, pardon me, the uh, the the week four games coming up, just to run through the standings quickly, top to bottom, we have Western at three and zero, Queens, Carlton, and Ottawa respectively at two and one. In that order, we have Waterloo, Wilfrid Laurier, and Windsor all at one and one. Then Guelph, Toronto, and York at one and two. And then at the sitting at the bottom, we have your McMaster Marauders, Tom Sterling at zero and three. Of course, both the York win and the McMaster zero and three record are products of the ineligible ineligible player situation at Mac. I still don't haven't heard too many details of it. I don't know if, if you know much about that. But the reason I bring that up is just looking at the standings as they are right now and, and as early as it still is in the season, we are quickly approaching the mid season mark. What stands out to you the most as far as teams that are situated right now? You know, we now have this idea of now eight teams as opposed to six making the playoffs. Who in this current playoff, you know, if, if the playoffs started today? Things that, you know, those of us who talk about sports love to say. But if the playoffs are today, who's the biggest shocker for you, sort of, in terms of where the standings lay right now? Yeah, I think it's a combination between two teams here. And I know it's early on and it's only three games or whatever else. But the two teams from Ottawa, Carleton and Ottawa, are second place, tied for second place in the league right now. Uh, Carlton's certainly doing a lot better than I thought they would. Obviously, they picked up that win against York, which was to be expected. But that big win against McMaster at the beginning of the season, I think really let them say, you know, we control our own destiny here with how we're moving along. Um, Ottawa, once again, comes into the, uh, the season with a lot of question marks, and we weren't really sure how things were going to play out. And then that run game explodes with JPC McKinda. Obviously, that defense has been outstanding for them. So I think, as always... But this year, especially if things continue the way that they are, that Panda Bowl is going to be a huge game. And that's going to be something that's circled on everybody's calendar to watch. Yeah, I, you know, I definitely agree in terms of the two uh, teams from Ottawa kind of catching my eye. 
um, I mean, I, I've re- been very bullish on Ottawa kind of going back to last year and liking some of the pieces they had in place. You mentioned that run game, such a stellar defense. You brought to my attention just just how impressive a year James Peter was having and a number of other guys on that defense as well. Carlton, on the other hand, you know, they are, they are, the, they are the team that, you know, Obviously, in a in a week's time, things could shift around so much. They're going to play Queens this week, and a number of other teams could be bumping up to, to move ahead of them in the standings if Carlton falls to the Gales. But they're a team that doesn't feel like a third place team to me right now, and I don't I, I don't think I have any kind of bias towards Carlton, um, even though I I somehow keep forgetting that they did beat McMaster. Um, at home, I I don't know. Apparently, I guess I've said that a number of times, but uh, you know, it just I guess goes to show just the, the lack of faith I have in the Ravens. They just I don't know. I, I like a lot of the things they have on their team, and just I, I feel like like a few years in the past, they just it just it feels like a, a, ugh, they could be better. So I feel like almost in Ottawa's case, as you said, so many question marks going into this year, and yes, there were question marks for Carlton too, but that for Ottawa, it seems like they've maybe been playing a bit uh, above what I kind of thought they were at and maybe some people thought they were at um which has sort of given me this excitement in seeing some of the things they've done and for Carlton yeah two and one and you mentioned the 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 big win against York last week but it just it doesn't feel like they've you know I don't want to say earned it but they, they they haven't done some of the things that perhaps we thought they could do but that's just sort of the quick glance at it. Of course, Guelph sitting at 1-2. and two. Um, I mean, that 0-2 record, it could have easily been 0-3. If it was 0-3, that would have been huge. At 1-2, you know, peaking a little ahead in the schedule, they can come back from it. Um, and we talked about some of the players they're literally, you know, that are literally coming back for that team and, you know, seeing um, seeing Helfrich seeming to uh, settle in at the quarterback position is no doubt huge for them. But on that note, let's jump into the games that we have uh, coming up here in week four, and let's start with both that very Guelph team and the Ottawa Gigi's. That is the first game slated for this Saturday, the 12 p.m. start from TD Place. The Griffins, of course, visiting the Gigi's. Both teams, of course, coming off big road victories and two of the most exciting games for, for from week three. Both, you know opponents uh in the case of ottawa the opponent being the marauders in the case of guelph waterloo um having opportunities to 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 have a hail mary victory at the end neither of course succeeding both these teams traditionally have a bit more of a defense heavy uh set or a defense heavy sort of vibe to the team guelph defensively been a bit iffy that's sort of where some of those players we talked about missing have been and on the flip side ottawa that secondary is just super super solid for them Guelph, Jake Helfrick, seeming like he's coming into his own. They didn't have Clark Barnes last week, but Vishon Janusis had a heck of a game for himself. Ryan Ogilvy had a good game. So that's, to me, the big thing I'm looking at this. Is is this Guelph passing offense, if it truly has kind of come to form, if Clark Barnes is back as well, against an Ottawa secondary that has really, really shown itself to be at the top of the class in the OUA. What are your thoughts on this Ottawa-Guelph matchup? Yeah, I think this is another step in the right direction for Guelph, certainly with that win against Waterloo. However, I was talking to somebody who was very close to that Waterloo Warrior program, and they had some thoughts on this Guelph offense here. And they pointed out two key stats to me. At the end of the first quarter, Jake Helfrick was one for five in passing. Now, that completed pass was an 84-yard touchdown, and that's something to be said. But still, you take that away, that's 0 for 4 in the first quarter. Not only that, but throughout the game, they had seven two and outs. 
meaning that that offense at times really struggled to kind of get forward here. And finally, my secret contact, if you want to say, <laughs> was of the opinion that the big plays and the big yards passing was due to the fact of Waterloo blown coverages rather than fantastic play from that Guelph offense. Now, those are very big claims to say, and I don't want to take anything away from Jake because obviously he played lights out. He was the OUA player of the week, and rightfully so. He did a fantastic job there. But at the very least, it still points out a few things to watch for this Griffin offense. You know, Isaiah Smith, the stud of a running back that we saw with, uh, with that breakout game against Windsor, held to just 70 yards uh, in this game. So there's a lot of question marks that I still have in terms of consistency, how well this Griffin uh, offense can really get going against an Ottawa defense that I think you and I have both kind of agreed is looks pretty legit. You know, they obviously held uh, McMaster to that, uh, the 14 points there with Andreas Dueck being the league leader in passing yards. And they fought their butts off against a very good Queens team in Ottawa. So this is going to be a really big test for this Griffin offense to see if they can build off of the success that they obviously saw against Waterloo and see if they can establish that offense because so many different pieces and this Griffin offense and the entire team uh, matter of fact, has been bitten by this injury bug like crazy. But if they can get some key players back and if they can find some synergy on offense, I still think that this Guelph team can be very dangerous. I'm just not sold on that offense specifically just yet. You raised some great points, um, and to whomever it is that you know, your little birds in the Waterloo area, that's obviously great job. A great job being able to look at those numbers a little more in depth and. You know, a big thing looking at the defensive side of things for uh, for Guelph, and you mentioned the injuries, they were really uh, struggling at the defensive line position. I know it was a hot day in Waterloo, but whether it was uh, I, Curtis Woodmansey, it always takes me a second not to say Coulter, or, or Josh Brown, they were really having to cycle guys in. It did look like a, fu a function of maybe uh, you know cramping and things like that. But we've also now seen, you know, Western ran the ball on them. That shouldn't come as a surprise we saw the Joey Zorn show uh, go off against them in Guelph. And then we saw guys like Nick Sua and Anthony Miller both run the ball really effectively for Waterloo. And we already mentioned Ottawa's run game on the back of J.P. Simonkinda. And J.P. Simonkinda, of course, a former Guelph Griffin and didn't get his, you know, quote unquote, homecoming or revenge game. I say that, of course, just to use the terminology. I have no sense of if it feels like, uh, you know, if there's any hard feelings or anything like that. I have no sense of that. But so we have one of the top runners in the OUA going up against a former team and a run defense in specific that's had given up some big run games. So I think that's perhaps where. Guelph might, or pardon me, Ottawa really might be able to hurt them. And as you said, if if the if the passing performance was not as prolific as perhaps on first glance, um, this could be this could spell trouble for the Guelph Griffins. Um, and I think Ben Miracle does a really good job of when they are able to run the ball and he doesn't have to do too much, so to speak, and just feed guys like Oladejo and Dimbongi and Estime. Um, you know that that's a, it's an Ottawa offense. I think is really solid. Um, Tom, unless you have anything else to say on it, where are you leaning? Who are you picking in this one? Yeah, I think you you brought up a, a really good point there as well. Like this Waterloo team that we saw, certainly much better than I think both of us thought that they were going to be going into this season with the loss of Trey Ford and everything else. 
but I don't know if their offense is 460 yards better or if they should be posting that kind of uh, those kind of numbers against a really stout, solid defense and not to uh, take anything away from the Griffins that are on the field there. They obviously are doing a really great job with what they have, but they've just been hit with so many injuries. Christian Stewart's still not playing, you know, you ha- you mentioned all of the issues that they've had with their D line, with the secondary and everything else. I think it's going to be very tough. There's going to be a very tough game for Guelph against Ottawa, just because of everything that's going on. And especially with JPC McKinda kind of doing his thing there. However, I don't know about Ottawa in terms of, I know they have a very strong rushing attack and JP's going to make some, make some holes, make some gaps, get, gain some yards for sure. He will is Ben Miracle good enough to beat them through the air if they were able to stop the run no matter what? I don't know. So through all of that, it's going to be a tight game. I'm still going with the Ottawa GGs to win this one and in home at Ottawa. Well, I, that was a brilliant breakdown uh, of all the factors, and uh, I, I'm with you on that one. I'm going Gigi's at home against the Griffins, and you know we we looked at the standings um, before we jumped into it. You know, it's a Gigi team at two and one. It's a Guelph team at one and two, and you know if our predictions come true, that creates a pretty big gap between these two teams. That I think, from looking at the outside save for the return of some of those players defensively for Guelph, what that might do to bolster them, sort of. Uh, as a whole, as of right now, like I said, from sort of looking at them from the outside, having not actually played each other, seem pretty evenly matched in many regards. So we're both on Ottawa on that one, and I think that's definitely going to be one of the more exciting games to watch this weekend. We'll, we'll transition now into our second game of the day. Thankfully, only two 1 o'clock games, but I guess that doesn't really make too much of a difference when one is a 12 o'clock start beforehand. But nonetheless, we have the Master Marauders hitting the road against the Waterloo Warriors you know, we've talked um, pretty much every pod about how Max offense has been slow to get rolling, and and even once they are underwhelming, uh, and in particular in that run game. And for Waterloo, yeah, we saw that Guelph was able to gash them, and you know we'll get a better idea when Guelph plays Ottawa whether or not the. Guelph offense really has found its stride if they can sort of put up similar numbers against a no doubt much better defense, I would say, in Ottawa than Waterloo. Or if, you know, maybe Guelph's offense just had a great day against a weak defense in Waterloo, so to speak. Anyways, just with, once again, so early in the season, so many questions to be to be had. I think Mac defensively still is where their strength lies. Um, and this is two teams that, you know, even with that two extra playoff spots are... You know, right now, kind of looking like the. I mean, Max. Obviously, this is. I'm kind of talking all over the place. Let me let me direct things more specifically. Is this do or die for McMaster? Short answer: Yes, it has to. Yes, be. because of everything else that's kind of happening here. You know, zero and three to start the season is never where a Marauder team wants to be. I can tell you that. But you look forward into the season here. You've got this game. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. You've got this game up coming here. And if you don't win, you've got Western and Queens both at in London and in Kingston. And then a, a bunch of teams here that we thought were maybe going to be a little bit worse, but like a Toronto team that could very easily steal a win from the Marauders and things. I think right now, if McMaster is going to go into the playoffs at the very least, 
they have to win four of their last five games, which means stealing one from either London or Kingston. And that is a very tall order. This, in order to have any hope for making the playoffs, this is a must-win game for the Marauders, for sure. Yeah, me, me and Nate kind of played with the thought experiment of, okay, let's say they pick up this win at Waterloo. It's still, uh, you know, and, and that was before knowing that there's now the two extra teams making the playoffs. I'm not sure my opinion changes that even with them picking up this win, they're going to make the playoffs um, for those very reasons that you mentioned. And I believe there's also a Guelph game um, or Pardon me. Yeah, a Guelph Road game tucked in as well with that, and uh, you know from now both sides of the of the field that that is as hot a rivalry as any other in the league. Um, you know, for the you know for the Waterloo side of things, you know, one of the things that's been really interesting to talk uh, to to see um, as the seasons kind of churned along is the. I was going to say development, but we really haven't seen much of, of him in Nolan Caban, this this young quarterback, as you mentioned, you know, Trey Ford, of course, moving on to the CFL and Caban stepping in. And, you know, though we've talked about some of the issues with the Guelph defense and the missing pieces in their secondary and guys that have moved on as well to the CFL, um, you know, he was able to put up some pretty solid numbers um, short, you know, now short his well, maybe some might debate whether Gordon Lamb still is top target because James Basiliga's had you know one a season in last year and a start to this season that has been um, as good as you know some of the top receivers in the league. But nonetheless, he should be getting Gordon Lamb back, and you know it's it's been beautiful th- a beautiful thing to see what such a young quarterback can do uh, early in his career. Of course, like we said, against first game was against a York team that you know hasn't you know they, they like to bring pressure but you know obviously it's they they leave a lot to be wanted and then a Guelph team that defensively like we said has been had a lot of holes it'll be interesting to see how this 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 young uh, quarterback in Caban does against this Mac defense and I think it's huge huge I mean obviously being at home is is always going to be an advantage but you know I've said it so many times, and it's not only when you're on the pod, Tom, that going in to Ron Joyce is a, is a tough task to do. And, you know, the students are in there full, fully now. Um, they're, you know, me and Nate were talking about, we've, you know, and we, you and I have talked about how many great um, just uh, games there have been from the whole ambiance of Stames Impact and all this. So that, to me, that is a massive thing um, in this game that Waterloo is going to have this one at home. Um the question, big question though, it's still that offensive line though for Mac, right? And, and we haven't seen Justice Allen take the field yet. I, I, I don't have an update on him. I, I don't know if any, you have any little birds that have been saying anything about his status. Um, but they, they still are having trouble protecting Duick. And you know, you know, Lord knows whether you know Justice Allen would make that much of a difference at this point back in the fold. I, I love him to death. He's a fantastic football player. But you know. <sighs> The way they're they've been looking, and, and you know some of the linebackers, whether it's Hinsberger or Jack Andrews for Waterloo, I don't anticipate Mac. You know, even if it's Justice back, it's his first game all season. I still don't see them running the ball that effectively. Let me pass it back to you. What are some other thoughts you're having on this matchup? Yeah, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. When you look back at the Ottawa game, they had fish 15 rushing attempts. Five of them were from Andreas Duick who, by the way, was the leading rusher for the Marauders in that game. So lots of issues with this Ms. Mac football team. I think right now 
They are thanking their lucky stars that they have Andreas Dueck because I think he is their offense at this point in time. Uh, not to take anything away from the uh, you know receivers and everything else that they have, but with just how everything has been going, another four sacks on top of that total, which brings them in three games up to what, 17? 17 sacks in three games? That has to be some kind of record. I don't, I don't imagine any team has, has gotten that uh that lucky with this quarterback sacks throughout the years here. So that offensive line is obviously a big, big issue for this Marauder team. They can't run the ball. They're just having Andreas Duick and, you know, they record the sack numbers here. I'd be interested to see how many times that guy gets hit and just gets the ball off yeah. in time. The, you know, credit to Duick for being a very tough, tough player and sticking in the pocket and trying to will his team to win. But at some point in time, you know, well, I was going to say it has to come to an end, but they're 0-3 right now, so <laughs> it, is, it is coming to an end. Uh, it's just, it's very tough trying to win in an OUA season that's so competitive like this when you are one-dimensional. And right now, if you can stop the pass, there's really not a, a big threat of a run game here. I think even with Justin, Justice Allen coming back, he'd be more effective you know, in the swing passes and things getting outside of the box rather than trying to run up the middle of it. So it's, yeah, I think this Mac team has a lot of, a lot, a lot of problems here. And obviously a Waterloo team that is, you know, came off of a loss against well, for sure, but has a ton of confidence. Now I can guarantee you that warrior, uh, locker room thinks that they should have won that game against Guelph and wants to get some revenge against a McMaster team that for the most part over the past 15 years has gotten their number pretty good. So this is going to be a really tight game. I think both teams are going to come into this as hard as you possibly can with McMaster kind of feeling like that cornered animal trying to scrap and claw and try to save their season. I don't even think that could be enough. You know, this Waterloo team is looking pretty good. You, you mentioned Nola Kamban, 17 for 34, 269 yards, three touchdowns. That's nothing to sneeze at, and he's a second-year player. Mm. He's only going to get better and better as things kind of go on here. So, yeah, there's a lot of things to kind of look at here, which I think points the favor in Waterloo, in my opinion. And is that, are you are – you, are, are, you, are we going deal, Howie? Is, is that your pick there? Are we slotting that in? Listen, Zach, I have my McMaster t-shirt on. I still bleed maroon, but everything that's going on here, I'm 0-3 technically with my picks for McMaster so far this season. I'm going the Warriors in Waterloo. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you, you paint such a great picture of just all the things going on in this game. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I love what I'm seeing from this Waterloo team. And them being at home is huge and, uh, you know, I think that this game is going to be very reminiscent of that Guelph game because yes, obviously the, 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 the issues on the offensive line are apparent. Um, but I'm just looking at some of these receivers that Duick has that has made help him become the, the passing leader. I mean, Jackson cooling, Daniel Bassett, Jacob Patton, the young receiver who's had a great start to his season. I don't think he even played last week. If I'm remembering correctly, James Priestner has been really solid for them. So I feel like this, could end up being another kind of shootout like that Guelph game. And, you know, I probably could have dove into some of the details on this to find out. But the one thing, if it is going to be a tight shoot-em-out game, is Cole Crossett, the kicker for Waterloo, who we saw 
almost literally kick his leg off to hit the 49-yard field goal to tie the game for Waterloo late against Guelph, and we didn't see him return, which resulted in Evan Basiliga having to kick the rugby kick, setting Guelph up with great field position to get their touchdown. I'm leaning towards this being a bit of a shootout. I don't know Cole's status. He might be perfectly fine. Maybe you know something about that, but I... With Mac with their back against the wall in this position right now, oh, it's it's hard for me to you know. I love what Bert ha- the, the what he the passion he brings with that team, and as you said, they're no doubt coming into this game thinking that they should be on a two game winning streak. I'll go, I'm gonna take Mac on the road here. I I honestly I I, I didn't think I was gonna do that. I that I'm I I I might need a. I might need to get myself into concussion protocol. I don't know, but in you know, what world like, does the Griffin pick the the Marauders and the Marauder picks the Warriors yeah. here? This is yeah. a little bit of Twilight Zone. For the record, I would love to be proven wrong here, Mac, but I'm not. I would also love to be proven. I, I would also love to be proven wrong because I love I love Bert. <laughs> I love what he's got going with this Waterloo team. But um, like I said, I feel like I feel that another kind of shootout action happening. And just with Cole being a little suspect, you know, that gives me reason for pause on this one. So, I, oh, I love that we have the split on this one. And like you said, that I'm taking the Marauders and you're going with Waterloo. It's just, oh, it's just, uh, this season just keeps getting better and better. Um, <laughs> well, let's move on to our next one o'clock game where we have the Laurier Golden Hawks heading to the Big Smoke to take on the York Lions at York Lions Stadium. Um... Yeah, where we start with this one, um, imp- you know, impressive performance by Laurier. You know, back to back. I it's I want to call this like a Toronto road trip for them. You know, having played U of T at Varsity last week. Of course, they went back to to Laurier for the, the week of practice, and I guess they got to go to classes and such as well. Um, but now, kind of doing this little you know early to mid season Toronto road trip, if you will. Um, for the York Lions, you know, honestly, definitely some pauses that we can take away from that game against York. I mean, most of like most outstandingly, Alfred Olay, which um, you know, I know we caught some flack for not giving him our special teams player of the week. Um, and you know, I know a lot of folks see what we post on our specials and don't listen to the podcast. Me and Nate were very, very uh, praising of his performance. And though I think the same people that were hating on us not picking him probably aren't listening to this either. I'll do so again. He had the he, I forget how many umpteen return yards he had. He had the massive return touchdown, and we saw them. And once again, this was a game that was cut. I think eight minutes short due to the, the injured player. And I gather just the deficit in the score or the difference in the scores being like, you know what? They got to get the ambulance and everything out here. Let's just call it a wrap. But so in an eight minute less, in eight minutes less of action, we saw seeing Melkis Alunga really coming into form for them. I mean, clearly someone's coaching the heck out of those running backs there because, you know, we still haven't seen talking about running backs we haven't seen in games. No Avanti McCoy yet. Darnell Jarrett, a guy who's been in that system for a number of years. I think he's a senior guy for them now, fourth or fifth year. He's missed now a couple games. Melkis has really come on strong. Of course, this is a Laurier team that year after year, it's you know, it's it's on the defense that they it's on the defense side of ball side of the ball that they really shine and another team with a young up-and-coming quarterback in Taylor Elgersma who is tough as nails and uh, some really good young runners for them in the likes of of Quentin Scott and um, and pardon me and Tanner Nelms as well um, you know to, to get it out of the way I'm taking Laurie on the road as I would assume most people are in this matchup but what are some of the things you know I, I feel 
I feel bad that we kind of keep using York games as sort of a litmus test to judge the other team by, but what are some of your thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I'd love to, you know, piggyback on the conversation that you and Nate have had and what you kind of alluded to here. It is so awesome to see how this OUA uh, schedule all of these teams here have such amazing young quarterbacks we are in very good hands here you've got Elgersma you've got all of these guys across the league right now obviously Evan Hillock being at the top one of those but even Kinsel with guys Hillock, like yeah, yeah. James Keenan and with Andreas Duick right behind them you've got some solid solid quarterbacks even Keegan Hall the quarterback for McMaster stud of a quarterback in the Burlington area I think he's got a huge ceiling there and we're seeing some really great quarterback play here just across the league. And it's really awesome to see Um, going off of that Taylor Elgersma. I think he's, he's going to do some really great things against this York team. I think the, the past, you know, honestly, three games that we've seen players or teams play against York, we haven't seen the dominance that we're really expecting here, despite the scores being, you know, 40 point winning by 40 points and, and such like that. But I'm looking to see if this Laurier team can stick to their guns, continue to get better, and do what no other team has been able to do yet, which is perform at the high level that we expect them to, despite playing against a team that is, as we've all kind of said multiple, multiple times, not nearly as good or not nearly as talented as they are. Yeah, and and you know what's you know you, you mentioned those uh, some of those lopsided defeats. The most impressive one to me so far was Waterloo in Week One. And I think there's a really brilliant parallel. Well, I shouldn't say it like that because I don't mean I'm not calling myself brilliant, but I think there's a really interesting parallel between Mac and Carlton, both with sort of team, sort of some, uh, how am I trying to say this? I guess sort of with a little older cores that have kind of been around for a while that kind of, you know, know how things go in the OUA, can go into a game against York and truly like, been there done that like you know we don't need to bring that a game and i i don't mean to i, I feel bad saying that because I, I don't think any of these teams ever go into games really looking beyond their opponents football is just not a sport that allows you to do so but a team in waterloo led by the young second year quarterback in nolan caban and now a team in laurier led by a young second year quarterback or technically third year i believe but pandemic stuff blah 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 blah, blah. in taylor elgersma, elgersma I just have a little more faith that they will go into and both, you know, like Waterloo going into the lion's den. And I think having a bit more of a, you know, we don't care who you are. We don't care if you are, if we're playing a, a, a JV high school team, we're coming in and we're playing every down like it is the fourth quarter of a Yates cup, because it's almost like you just don't know any better other than to just go out and ball out. Um, so I, I really have the feeling that this will kind of lean a little more into the impressive side of things. Now, how much of that is a product of in the same way talking about the difference, the comparison of Carlton and Ottawa, where with Waterloo, though I don't think anyone thought they'd lose to York, we really got to see what Caban was made of, see him sling it out. James Basiliga showing that last year wasn't a fluke, getting to get some of the run game going, seeing what that linebacking core, Hintzberger and Andrews in the mix there, showing that there's still some solid pieces there. And similarly with Waterloo, whereas with Carlton and and, and and Mac, maybe we expected a little bit more. How much of that's playing into it? Totally fair if you want to call me out on that regard too. But yeah, I, I totally think that this is a, a Laurier team looking to go in. And they're not just looking to pick up a win. They're looking to make a statement in this one. Um, Tom, pass it back to you. Any, any last thoughts, things you're looking for in this game? 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And I want to say credit to Michael Falds, their head coach for the Waterloo, or sorry, for this Laurier team here. Uh, I think he's going to have them completely dialed in regardless of the opponent that they're going to play. I think this is going to be a great game for them in order to just gain some more confidence and seeing that dominance against a, a, a weaker team that we have seen. I think Quinton Scott's going to have a big day on the ground. I think they're going to try some things out with Taylor Elgersma and, you know, like we've said, he is that young quarterback, maybe get him a little bit more confidence in uh, throwing the deep ball and things like that. So I'm, I'm looking for this obviously to be a Laurier victory, but I'm looking for it to have some more key components there that help lift this Laurier team, maybe into an even better position going into the later part of the season. Most definitely. And, and I think the big thing going up against York when we've talked about it is just some of the exotic blitz packages and how much they love to bring pressure. And it is a young offensive line for Laurier. So that'll obviously be something to keep our eyes on. Let's move into now the we have two evening affairs. The first one happening at Richardson Stadium in good old Kingston, Ontario, where the Carlton Ravens are on the road to take on the Queen's Golden Gales. Carlton, of course, coming off of their big win at home against York Queens coming off of a you know I think me and Nate talked about it it very much kind of felt like when Queens beat Ottawa where Ottawa was really kind of frisky for you know two and a half quarters and then Queens is just like okay like you know we're just gonna slowly now pull away Queens was with there with was there with Western for about two and a half quarters to me I still think that the moment that you know that that key moment in the third quarter where they're in the they're in the Western Ten. They go for on third and short. They get stopped. Western goes for a third and ten, gets stopped in their own fifteen. Then Queen settles for a field goal on a third and I'd say medium. I wish they went for the touchdown in that situation. And to me, when they didn't, that was Western being like, "Done. Let's put this one to bed." But Queen's returning home. Um, I, I I feel perhaps maybe a similar energy as you described Waterloo having of being like, you know, obviously that game wasn't as close as Waterloo's game was against Guelph, but a team now um, playing at home and very much looking at this being like, you know, we've kind of shown what we're made of and and we're darn good and Queens should have you know, nothing if not believing in themselves that they are a tough team. Now, what I want, how I want to tee this up for you though is that despite some of the apprehension I've had about Carlton, they have put up some points and they've done it in a multifaceted way. They've scored with their specials and their defense and Nate kind of phrased it well where it doesn't necessarily... I forget exactly how he framed it, but you know, when we look at that York performance doesn't necessarily instill confidence uh, of the things clicking. But they, you know, they, it's a it's a three faceted game that we play here, that we cover here, right? And so they've shown that they can be effective on all three aspects. And this is a Queens team that defensively, that's been a little banged up, missing some key players on that defense. It was able to hold up effectively for a bit against Western, but Western was able to make you know obviously plays happen. What are your thoughts with this matchup right now? With what looks like a bit of a banged up Queens defense. But nonetheless, at home against a Carlton team that's been a bit iffy despite their 2-1 and one record and currently sitting in well, technically tied in third place. Yeah, I think this is a bit of an interesting matchup. Um, I know I said at the beginning of the podcast that Carlton was something that, to be surprised, because they were at that 2-1 and one record. But you kind of pointed it out there as well. They haven't necessarily played the best of the best yet. In my opinion, Queens is in that upper echelon of teams, probably the closest team to Western at this particular point in time. So if you're really wanting to see how Carlton is going to uh, compete against these higher-up teams, this is going to be our first 
uh, chance of it. Not only are they playing against a great Queens team, but they're traveling to Kingston. It's a night game in that brand new stadium. That's those are all pretty big stakes there for this Carlton Ravens. I don't know. This Ravens team has a lot of issues and there's not a lot of consistency at offense there. I think we saw some really promising things when they played against McMaster with things slowly starting to build. Kasim Ferdinand, Josh Ferguson, Tanner DeYoung really starting to get a groove going and in that second half kind of pulling away with that game. But I haven't seen that same level of consistency there as just in that second half of the first game of the season. They've kind of been all over the place. Sometimes, you know, one of the three have done well, but the other two seem to be struggling. It's not all three of them getting together and putting up some major points and major yards and things. And I think if the three of them can all get on the same page and make sure that they're all leading and succeeding and everything else, I think that leads to some really great and, you know, great chemistry and some dangerous potential, uh, you know, offensive plays. I j- this is a big ask to try to get that chemistry now against a Queens team that is very good. That is licking their proverbial wounds after losing against a Western Mustang team in London, Ontario, wanting some revenge and not getting that. I think that chip on that shoulder that we've been talking about has gotten a little bit bigger for those Queens Golden Gales, and they're going to be looking to get a, a big dub at home against a Carlton Ravens team. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you mentioned sort of the, those three key players for Carlton on offense and DeYoung and Ferguson and then in Ferdinand Kasim, of course. Um, and I think that partly is why that two and one doesn't feel as impressive because, as you said, though, those guys should be able to click. And we've seen them click, as you highlighted in the second half of that McMaster team, though, of course, at this point in the season, maybe we think differently just about how good that McMaster team is or is not. Um, and I think that's perhaps what's driven some of my just just the, the the questions about this Carlton team but to me the biggest thing and I'll, I'll, I'll state my pick just in making this point here I'm going with Queens at home and the biggest thing is that we saw the performance that Adam Williams had at home running the ball against this Carlton defense and then of course we saw him come down to earth against Laurier though I think we would have expected him to come down to earth from his I forget 100 plus performance that he had would have had the extra touchdown if not for fumbling that one on the goal line and of course it happened you can't reverse change what happened but nonetheless we saw that definitely as a bit of an outlier performance for Adam Williams though I'm a big fan of of, of Mr. Williams and then of course we already talked about what Melkis Alunga was able to do running the ball against them last week for York and That, of course, then leads to thinking, is this a Carlton team that has a bit of a weakness in that run defense? Obviously, we've talked about what Shaheem Charles Brown can do in getting after the quarterback in the the passing attack, um, as well as some other uh, top-notch players in that sort of secondary area, like Cole Hepburn, like Zendra Oden, Talik Aumin, Alamin Shipalu. But, you know, we're looking at a Queens team that has, you know, when they're all there and healthy you could argue has, you know, like a four-headed monster in, you know, we've seen Anthony Souls be kind of the main back for them now three games into the season. Jaden Blackman, talking about outlier performances, that week one against Toronto is so far shown to be just that, but he's clearly talented. Jared Kasari, who we didn't see against Western, but had some good performances. And the fourth head of that four-headed monster, the running attack, of course, is James Keenan. And so when I just look at all those factors, I just I don't know if Carlton can stop Queens running the ball. They're at home. That place is going to be rocking. You know that for sure. I almost feel like the the, the brass at Queens, as far as in the athletic director department, are going to look at what 
Western was able to do. And I, I said this ad nauseum with Nate on the pod being at that Western Queens game, how just in awe I was of what Western was able to do as far as putting on a show, not just on the field, but being live there. I'm literally getting chills thinking about it. And you have to think that the people at Queens are being like, okay, our turn. And it's going to be a raucous affair. So I, 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 I think, you know, Carlton, it'll be interesting to see some of the things they can put together with that. You know, those names that you, you highlighted and we both talked about offensively. Um, Kasim's brother and Denny Ferdinand having some success um, uh, returning the ball for them as well. But I'm taking Queens at home in this, no doubt. Yeah, I'm completely with you here. I think Queens at home is definitely going to be the pick. Uh, I think James Keenan and that uh, just being one of the four-headed monster being a part of that rushing attack is something to be scary for sure. But turns out, hey, James Keenan can throw the ball pretty good too. Oh. So, yeah, I think uh, I think there's Queens has too many weapons and too many fantastic players for Carlton to stop. And I think the Gales win a big one at home. Yeah. Oh, I certainly did not mean to uh, imply he didn't, but just on that running <laughs> attack alone, I think they'll be they'll be able to to put up points and move the ball. Uh, that'll take us into our our finale on the evening, the game that Tom's been waiting for for two weeks because of the return of Joey Zorn to OUA action after Windsor had the week rebuy. It is the U of T Blues taking their show on the long, long winding road to Alumni Field in Windsor to take on. Tom Sterling's Lancers um, with Joey Zorn running the ball for them. Um, you know, U of T we're seeing coming off of the the tough home loss uh, to Lore, though a competitive game at that. Two teams that are maybe maybe you give Lore a bit of a nudge, but seem to be on pretty equal footing, so to speak. And a Windsor team coming off, you know, I, I've said this, I, I feel like uh, a number of times when we, me and Nate broke down the pod, you and I probably talked about it a bit and just folks that I've talked to in person about the last couple of weeks in OUA action, a game that was not nearly as close as the four-point deficit implied. They ran it all over Guelph. And, you know, we talked about, you talked about sort of maybe some of the misleading numbers Guelph had offensively against Waterloo if not for a few big plays against Windsor, Guelph really didn't do much offensively against um, Joey Zor and the Windsor Lancers either. Um, it, it has to be mentioned every time Windsor plays at home, the, just the magic and the, the the wonder of playing with those golden arches in the background and, of course, just the long road trip. Um, they still don't seem, from what we've seen so far this season, to have settled into who's going to be at the helm. It's looked like you know from the start Danny Skelton Carter Zinger kind of getting a lot of the run but then we saw the American Josh Shim get some time against Guelph and I feel like if it wasn't for as effective as they were running the ball with you know and Christopher John needs to be mentioned as well for how well he ran it against um, Guelph as well but I think if it wasn't for the fact that they were able to run it as effectively as they were in Guelph we'd probably have a little more to say about how they've been juggling their quarterbacks and you know we've obviously said a number of things and had perhaps a little fun at the expense of Guelph's inability at times to settle in on a quarterback um whether we're there yet with this Windsor Lancer team in terms of, hey, you know, figure it out. I mean, I, I do like J.P. Cercelli and, uh, you know, I, I trust sort of what he brings to building up that program. But anyways, I'll stop my rambling. Uh, Tom, your boy Joey Zorn is back in for the second time in the night game slot um, under the lights. 
uh, with only a bit of the six o'clock game, perhaps infringing on other people being everyone being able to tune into this. What are you thinking when you think about the UFT Blues traveling to Windsor to take on the Lancers? Windsor Lancers prime time football, baby. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, I think Joey Zorn is the right now the runaway uh, OUA rookie of the year. I think that's pretty easy to say, barring any major injuries and anything else, knocking on wood, wish you nothing but the best, Mr. Zorn. I think he has shown some incredible plays here, you know, also on the stat sheets, but we've seen some really great stuff from him even outside of that. I've seen some great blocks for him when, you know, his carousel of quarterbacks are in there trying to throw the ball as well. I think Joey Zorn is definitely the heart and soul of this offense here. And I'm very interested to see, you know, the name of the game for me, or the biggest question here is ha- has Windsor have any more confidence in either Danny Skelton or Josh Sim since that bye week? Have they been able to figure anything out watching the film, getting some extra time in practice? Do they have a number one starter, a quarterback that they're willing to stick through and not switch out what at certain times against that Guelph team, it seemed like every other play. They were switching out certain quarterbacks there. So that's going to be a big, big question here. For me, on the Toronto side of things, in my opinion, Kinsale Phillip is the guy. I think he has every single opportunity to become a Clay Sakara, a Trey Ford, just not this year. In order for Toronto to do well and to win games, that rushing attack has to be there. I think they did a good job against... Um, Well, they obviously did a very good job against Carlton, but against the Laurier team, only 79 yards of total rushing offense. You put all of the pressure on Kinsale Phillip, and I think he is an absolute star for sure. I don't think he's there yet to win a game through the air purely based on him. I think if you stack the box, stop the run, and force Kinsale to beat you, I don't know that he has enough experience in order to get that done as of yet. So at what point... Honestly, looking before the, the start of the season and everything, you look at a Windsor-Toronto game and be like, that's the game that I'm most excited for in a, in a week. What crazy times we are in 2022, Zach. It's It's been a few moons. It's it's maybe been all the moons. I I, 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 I don't know. I, I it's, it's Yeah, it's been a while. You know, we talk about so many of the uh, star quarterbacks, Clay Sikara amongst uh, the best to have graduated out in recent years but and focusing on that UFT offense. Uh, and just how prolific it was at times with Clay at the helm. Obviously, you have to mention the names of, of Nolan Lovegrove and Will Corby, but it's you know they were so productive. But of course, there were you know a number of other guys in that receiver room who are still with them. A guy like Michael Lehman, Nigel Good, Daniel Diadotti. Um, just to name a few who've been around that program who, you know, we talked about the depth in that Waterloo receiving room, perhaps helping Nolan Caban or going back to our preseason pod, whomever it was that was going to wind up at quarterback, knowing that it would be a young first time starter and help settling them in. So I definitely think that while, you know, some of the names like Lehman, Lagood, Diodati, David Osho's had a, a, a decent little start to the season, uh, aren't necessarily the sexiest names as far as receivers in the OUA or, or household names, so to speak. They're guys that have been around that program that I think have been able to help out Kinsale really feel comfortable. And, and you know, I think that's really been what's one of the most impressive things about his performance in his in his young career is just how comfortable he looks just making throws that just 
I guess I made this comment, I think, going back to their Queens game where it's like it felt like he just thought he was still in scout, like as if it was just that, you know, scout D for Toronto just showing them Queens looks that didn't matter that, oh, hey, that's actually Ethan Martin, their linebacker or, you know, that, you know, whomever else. Right. That like it's just that's my read. I'm just making the throw and, you know, I'm trusting in the system and obviously. You know, they got a guy like Joe Damore, who's been a head coach in this league. The Joe Damore homecoming, I mean, that was an unintentional setup there. How will that factor in in all of it? Um, But, you know, you're you're banging on with with the, the... with the performance of Kinsale and, and as well, just needing that rushing attack to, to be prolific. Um, of course, talking about rushing attacks, I mean, Joey Zorn, we've seen in, in only two games, but we've seen, as you said, just such a an outstanding start to the season. And, you know, frankly, obviously we have maybe some questions about Guelph defensively. This is kind of the fun thing at this point in the season is it makes us look back on old games and be like, well, did, we, did what we think happened actually happen now that we've seen more data and, and everything like that? But, of course, we saw an impressive performance with him rushing the ball against an Ottawa team week one that I'm still quite bullish on, though perhaps more in the secondary. I say all that in saying, you know, the Joe Demore homecoming, Kinsel Phillip really coming into his into his own another game. But you add in the road trip, you add in the McDonald's golden arches in the background, Joey Zorn doing his thing. I'm rolling with the Lancers at home coming off the bye in this one, Tommy. Where are you sitting? I'm right there with you, man. I think Joey Zorn and those legs lead the Lancers to a big (laughs) dub against these uh, varsity blues here. But I got to tell you, and I think I speak for the entire at the 55 crew here. We love the fact that Toronto is in the, in the talks here. We love to see the varsity blues succeed and, and show promise, you know, for so many years before the Clay Sakara era really started, they were just an, Oh, and eight, one and 17 with the only competitive game being against the York lions who are also an O and eight or one and 17. We're starting to see the varsity blues consistently come back with better and better players and start to be really competitive in these games. And it's so exciting to see one of the original teams get back to form or at least show signs of getting better, I should say, but the Windsor Lancers come away with a big dub. And J.P. Cercelli gets one one little bit closer to making the playoffs with this Lancer team. Oh, baby. I mean, you know, each week, obviously, part of our, our job, I, I think, is to hype up these games and sometimes make lemonade out of, you know, <laughs> I don't know what the metaphor is supposed to be there. Out of not lemons i don't know what i'm saying I, i've been on the po- it's, it's we're, we're, we're closing on the hour right now which is why I'll, I'll make an attempt to wrap it all up but you know this this year so far has been nothing but impressive week in week out and and i think that if you're listening to our breakdowns of these games uh but even just looking at the standings looking at the past performances uh i don't see how you're not just as jazzed for this incredible slate of games we have this weekend because there is something to take away from each one of these games and a few of these games being matchups that I think can net really exciting games and honestly it seems so far that each week has outdone the last and uh you know we know for sure without the Western Mustangs that's one playing this week that's one assured blowout or at least like one side victory we won't have to you know roll our eyes out and be like yeah okay Western did Western things um though of course there's perhaps some other teams in this league that we could say insert team doing insert team things and netting a less than uh, enjoyable game but I will I will stop right there Tom last word before I wrap it all up yeah I think this is it's still very early on in the season I get that but 
you have to start counting these wins and start to see looking at the schedule. Who's we, who do we have upcoming and things? There are some very serious playoff implication kind of games coming up in this week here. I think we've already talked about it with the McMaster and Waterloo games. I think both teams are on that kind of cusp there with McMaster fighting for their playoff lives with this one. Cause I think if they lose this game, they're toast they're, they're That's it. They're done for this season. You got Toronto and Windsor who are going back and forth, trying to get back into that playoff spot. There's just a whole lot of, early on games that are going to have massive implication come the end of this regular season here. So I'm fired up for this. It's going to be a great week of football once again. 100%. And, and you know, I, 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 I said it with Nate, and I agree with you in saying that if Mac loses this one, it's near, it's it's pretty, it's, it is done for them. York, I don't think people expect them sneaking in, even with that eighth team. But, you know, even if we sort of say that after this week, we can count, two teams out and then you expect western to keep doing western things holy smokes the race for seeding and everything like that you're you're spot on and just how important these games are gonna be it is just wow 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 and if that isn't great sports analysis right there I don't know what else you're looking for from this podcast but that'll do it for us here uh, apologies we didn't get the C to C this past week we'll try and get that back up and running um so we can keep you up to date on what's going on in the other conferences because obviously as exciting as this year has been once the U sports playoffs roll around it's nice to kind of know who these other teams coming out of the other conferences are uh going to the matchup with the western i mean with the uh, oua representative and yates cup champion um for 2022 so that'll do it for me and tom here uh me and nate will talk to you on monday uh no doubt super hyped up from this beautiful slate of games this uh, Saturday and I'll talk to you then at the 55.